This morning is the 18th message, people, in the current series, Learning a New Normal. We know what we know where we're at. If you're visiting, by the way, I should say, we're working through a, a series called Learning a New Normal, uh, based on Romans. We've started in Romans 1.1, and we're right, right the way through now to Romans 7. Every week, we're just looking at a new aspect of God's teaching through Paul, what he wrote to the Roman church, into our hearts. It's always simple. It's never very difficult. But it's something that God has put in our hearts. Learning a new normal, a different way of living life, the way God wants us to. Two weeks ago, when I last preached, we looked at verses 1 to 6 of Romans 7. We focused our attention on just three words. We looked at the words dying, controlled, and release. And we discovered just how important it is to break the cycle of sin and ungodly behavior that hangs around in our lives. Allowing the old me to die so that I'm no longer controlled by sin, so that I can be released into my future, the new me with God. That was two weeks ago. Today, we want to look a bit further into Romans 7 and see what God has got in store for us. Let's just pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, settle my heart right now before you and allow me to hear what you want to be said. God, any of my words, take them and throw them out. We don't want to hear from a person. We want to hear from you, God. Holy Spirit, work through us now. Give us your word, straight from your word, to help us to live the way you want us to live. Help us understand a new normal pattern of living, the way that you originated life and call us back to. Thank you, God, right now. We know we've got open hearts. We know we've got minds ready to receive. So, God, speak and deposit truth into our lives right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to have a look at Romans 7 from verse 7 and actually right through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 25. So it's a bit of a read, but bear with me. Well, I shouldn't even have to say that. We're reading scripture. Just soak it up. It's great. Are you ready? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. 
I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Take a very deep breath. That's pretty full on and very wordy. And sometimes you have to really stop to hear what is being said. As you know, my pattern with all of these messages has been quite simply to pray and say, God, you know, Lord, you know, you made me. I'm not a theologian just a bloke trying to hear what you have to say. So show me what you want us to say and show me what you want us as a congregation to understand. So as I've prayed over this and prayed through it and listened to it, I think the nature of what God wants us as a church to have a look at this morning and understand a little bit more is simply the notion of struggle. Struggle. I believe God wants to highlight for us today that the concept, the understanding that we actually do all struggle with sin in our lives. True statement? Nobody brave enough to say true statement? Yeah. Just like we said a couple of weeks ago, it takes a little longer sometimes to kill off the old self than we thought it might. We tend to struggle with sin in our lives. I find the description of sin in what we just read to be absolutely amazing. Twice, in the the scripture, in the text we just read, twice, a phrase is repeated in verse 8 and in verse 11. This phrase, this description of sin is used. Sin is described in what we just read as seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. I went, wow. I reckon that's pinpoint accuracy for a summation of human behavior. Let me explain. Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. In other words, after the rules are set, after the boundaries are put in place, after the commandments are fully established, you and I actually often tend to look for the loopholes, don't we? Yeah? After the line has been drawn, human nature says, Where's the gap? Where's the furry line? Where's the bit that's not quite so clear so I can brush up as close as I can to sin without actually sinning? Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. Looking at the commandment, listening to the commandment, understanding the commandment, and yet looking for a little opportunity in it to twist it. Seizing the opportunity. How far can I go before I'll get smacked, thinks a child. 
How far can I push that until mum and dad tell me to stop it? I know I'm not supposed to do that, but how's this? Surely this isn't as bad as that. Surely I can seize the opportunity afforded by what I was told not to do to brush up as hard as I can against it and just push the boundary. It's human nature. It's what we do because of the sin that's inside us that says, oh, can I get away with that? How hard do I have to try to be 100% good or can I just get away with being 98% good? I wonder if God will notice. Let's look at the specifics. Are you game? Yep. This could hurt. Are you ready? I'll use an example from my own life first just to make you feel comfortable. And then I'll just keep going. And if you start squirming, I'll know that it applies to you. Practice squirming now. Just move left butt cheek, right butt cheek. If I, if I see that happening, I'll know you're struggling with this. And I'll be the first one to put my hand up. Example from my own life of pushing the boundaries, knowing that it's wrong, but sometimes just really struggling to pull it back. Language. I try really hard not to swear. Well, at least not to use the big swear words. Because I say crap a lot. And I've realised over the last few years that that's not a very nice word. And I shouldn't say it. But I struggle with it. Because I still say it. My kids are actually better at this than I am. Say, Dad, don't say that. I even try to use humour to cover it up. I say, no, 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 no. Crap really means couldn't really appreciate it properly. So we justify, because we know I shouldn't do it, but I'm not actually strong enough to stop doing it, so I justify why I do it. I push up against the boundary, I seize the opportunity that the commandment affords me to brush up against what I know I shouldn't be doing, and I still do it. That's a big example in my life. Let's turn our attention to you. What about movies and television? Don't tell me you haven't been in a situation when you're watching a movie or a television and a scene comes in that you know you probably shouldn't watch. There's something inside you that says, I should not be watching this. I do not need to allow this into my life. This is wrong. And yet you struggle to change the channel seizing the opportunity afforded by the command. We become intoxicated by that which we know is wrong because of the sinful nature. So we drift toward it. Well, maybe if I turn the sound down, but I only just watch, maybe that'll be all right. Well, no, it doesn't make it any better. It just shows us for the weakness that we really have. What about paying cash for a job? Any squirming? What about when you know that you should be paying this tradesman properly so that proper receipts can be issued, so that tax can be paid, and yet he says, oh, no, just 
250 cash will be fine. And you know that that means he will not be paying tax. And you know that that means you are doing the wrong thing. It's illegal. But we still do it. Seizing the opportunity afforded by the command, we brush up as close as we can to the things that we know are wrong, but we want to know if we can get away with them. What about buying or downloading pirated DVDs? That's stealing. It's stealing. A bit more squirming coming on now. I can feel it. It's stealing. Would you walk into a store and grab a CD off the shelf and stick it in your pocket and walk out? Probably not. Although maybe you've done that too. Come and see me afterwards. But many, many people are happy to press click and download something they haven't paid for that now somebody will miss out on a job because we just did the wrong thing. Or we share pirated copies that have come out of cinemas in Bali somewhere. And we go, that's good, I won't have to pay to go to the movies. No, you just stole a CD. Affording the opportunity seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, brushing up against something we know to be wrong, but we do it anyway. Maybe you don't struggle with language. Maybe you've never watched a scene in a movie that you shouldn't have. Maybe you've never paid cash for a job. Maybe you've never pinched a CD or a DVD. Have you ever parked in a disabled car park? I've watched it happen, especially when I'm with Tim McCallum. I've watched it happen people selfishly give no regard to those who are legally entitled to be in that car space and think they can do that. It's wrong. It's illegal. But I'm in a hurry. It's the closest one to the shop I need to get to. There's no one using it currently. We justify everything to make us feel better. And this is exactly what Paul's addressing. Exactly what Paul's addressing saying there is sin in the very core of our lives. And unless we make those changes, we will forever seize the opportunity afforded by the commandment. We will brush up against wrong. Rather than standing back and saying, actually, what have I got to do to change? What have I got to do to make a permanent difference in my life? I don't want to struggle with sin anymore. What about sexual behaviour? It's a biggie. In 10 years of pastoring, I've met a lot of people that have pushed the boundaries. And a lot of people that have crossed the boundaries. So we go, oh, but it's okay. Nothing happened. But it's not okay. Because God watched us go through that. We broke his commandments. We took the opportunity afforded to us instead of taking the harder pathway of no compromise and following the pathway of God. Much harder to do. And I'm in no position to stand here and tell you that I've led a perfect life and I've never faltered. That's a load of... Rubbish. Thank you, Chloe. 
That's a half a dozen or so everyday examples of behaviour. We, we could go on forever. Uh, you could, I could ask you right now, you could probably list another dozen in your life and in the lives of people that you know. We all exhibit this somewhat strange effort to push the boundaries, to see just how far we can go. All it does is prove that we struggle with sin. But here's the good news. You've sort of squirmed enough now. Didn't see too much butt cheek movement, so either you're very, very good at holding it all in or you were just determined to stay focused. But I know that all of us will be feeling a bit, oh, okay, that applies to me. But here's the good news. Paul reminds us unbelievably clearly in what we just read that God's laws are good and God's laws are holy and God's laws are righteous. And it's just our human condition that keeps letting us down and pointing us in the wrong direction. The whole I want to do what I need to do, what I know to do and I can't do that and I keep doing the other thing that I know I don't want to do and the thing that I hate doing is the thing that I continue to do. It's all there. And it applies to every one of us. The summation in verse 18 is perfect. In what we just read, chapter 7, verse 18, it says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out on my own, without God. In my human strength and capacity, I can't do this because I know that I will fall to the lowest common denominator. As a human, in the human sinful condition, I will fall, have fallen, continue to fall. But with Christ, holding on tight, we can overcome the struggle with sin. How are we going to do that? How am I supposed to win this seemingly never-ending war? This daily battle, how do I beat the struggle? So if you're taking notes, let's just call it learning a new normal 18 or beating the struggle. Beating the struggle. The most important premise to understand right at the start is that the world would say, oh, don't worry about it. Just don't mention that you've got a problem. Don't think about the fact that you're having problems in these areas. Don't focus on that and it'll be fine. But we know that it won't be fine. When we're learning a new normal, when we're trying to do things God's way, reading his word, learning what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live and behave, there is no room for pretense and cover-up. God is all about truth, openness, honesty, genuine heart and relationships, character and integrity. There must be a godly way to beat the struggle that we have with sin. To help us answer this question this morning, just a couple of keys coming from the book of John. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. It's a little story that I'm sure many of you would already know or have heard once or twice before. It's the story of the woman being caught in the act of adultery and thrown at the feet of Christ, almost literally. Now we understand that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the pastors of the day were trying to hassle Christ so they had lots of other agendas going on here as they were doing this but it's a beautiful short story 
that shows us how to beat the struggle with sin. So let's just read it. It's only 10 verses. John 8, 1 to 11 says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, stood up. He said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and continued to write on the ground. At this those who heard began to leave, began to walk away one at a time, older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. She was caught in the act. There was no denial of her sin. Nobody in this text, including her, denies that she did it. She was actually caught in the act. And note that at the very end, Christ actually refers to her life of sin. So I think it's fairly safe to us to assume that this is not the first time this has happened. This is probably not a once-off, not a standalone event. I would say, judging on the demeanour that we can see, judging on the fact that she doesn't deny anything, judging on the fact that Christ refers to her life of sin, I would imagine, now I'm imagining, I'm stretching this, but I want you to understand the heart underneath it. I would imagine that this is not the first time. I would imagine this is a sin that she struggles with. In the same way that we just identified probably half a dozen life sins that we all struggle with, and there's more, plenty more. This is one that this woman was struggling with, the sin of adultery. She gets dragged to Christ by not well-meaning men, thrown at his feet, and they demand an answer. They say, the Old Testament says that we should kill her. And they were right. The Old Testament law gave them the right as the leaders and Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers, pastors, prophets, preachers of the day to claim the law and have her stoned. Violent, aggressive, demonstrative death. Horrible. But within the law. They threw in front of Christ and said, what do you say? Now Jesus if I could paraphrase and pinch our phrase, Jesus is a new normal kind of guy. He looks at it differently, has a different answer to the way we can overcome our struggle with sin. So let's have a look at that response so we can answer this question. The question is, what does it really take to beat the struggle of sin in our lives? What does it take to beat the struggle of sin in our lives? The answer, right up front, the love and authority 
of Jesus Christ? That's the answer. What does it take to beat the struggles that you and I face on a daily basis? The love and authority of Jesus Christ. What does it take to help me switch off that movie that I shouldn't be watching? The love and authority of Jesus Christ. What does it help me? What does it take to help me stop using words I shouldn't be using? The love and authority of Jesus Christ. What is it going to take to help me get focused and move away from the things I know I shouldn't be doing? The love and authority of Jesus Christ. So how do we then unpack that? How do we access the love and authority of Jesus Christ? It's true. It's real. It's right. But how do I do that? How do I apply that to my life? How do I actually live in the love and authority of Jesus Christ? There's only one way to do it, with a total focus on Christ. A total focus on Christ. I need to build a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ by paying attention to Him and getting to know Him. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Matthew 11.28-30 quotes Christ as He says, Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A total focus on Christ will help me access the love and authority of Christ and help me beat sin in my life. There's three ways that the total focus on Christ will help us. There's probably more. These were the three that were highlighted to me. I'm just going to run you through these three. It's not a long, long time. Total focus on Christ will help me, firstly, A, to remove the distractions. Total focus on God helps me take away the distractions in my life, helps me to get to know God, helps me to understand and receive the love and authority, which is ultimately what helps me beat the struggle of sin. If you wanted to see it in steps, if that helps, if you're a pictorial person, step one, focus on God. Step two, the distractions start to disappear. Step three, keep building a strong relationship with God. Step four, start receiving Christ's love and authority in my life. Step five, start to beat the struggle of sin. It's steps, it's processes, it's one after the other. One, two, three, four, five. Focus on God, distractions disappear. Keep building strong relationship. Receive his love and authority. Start to beat the struggle of sin. I note that what we just read in John chapter 8, and I found this fascinating, all took place at dawn. At dawn. The very beginning of the day. Right at the start of the day, first thing. And I note there are three distinct groups of people doing three distinctly different activities as their first choice activity for the day. The first thing that these three distinct groups of people became involved with were remarkably different. There's one group of people, like the woman herself, who are actively engaged in sin. So there's one group of people that have chosen to start their day in sin, actively engaged in doing the wrong thing. Then there's one group of people that have chosen to start their day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, 
by chasing and hounding and judging other people who are doing the wrong thing. Which in itself is doing the wrong thing. And then there's a third group of people the Bible describes who started their day sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listening to his teaching. Gathered in the temple courts listening to the teaching of Christ. So my question to us is this, when you start your day tomorrow and every other day, are you going to start your day actively engaged in sin? Distracted? Are you going to start your day distracted by focusing on other people's sin? Having a crack at everybody left, right and centre for the things they're not doing correctly? Or are we going to start our day at the feet of Christ? Are we going to start our day saying, God, what have you got in store for me today? And God, I know I'm not perfect. And God, I'm sorry for yesterday. I, I realise I slipped up here and I messed up that. Oh, I want to I start again. I want to go again. I don't want to start today actively engaged in sin. And I don't want to start today actively chasing others who are engaged in sin. I want to start today actively chasing you. I want to be focused on you. I want to be one of the people that's sitting at the feet of Christ saying, Teacher, teach us. Show us what you've got in store. Remove the distractions. A total focus on Christ will remove the distractions. It's time for us to start and finish our day with a total focus on Christ. In fact, if I'd read the rest of Hebrews 12 that we read before, fix your eyes on Jesus, just before that, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remove the distractions. By starting with a total focus on Christ. I get a funny feeling that the woman caught in adultery right here as she was stood before Christ. I reckon she would have been focusing on him like you wouldn't believe. Total focus. Second thing. A total focus on Christ. Not only does it remove the distractions, it reminds me of the no condemnation clause. It reminds me of the no condemnation clause. Romans 8.1, which we'll actually ironically get to in the next week or two, I'm sure, says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. This lady should have been stoned according to the old law. But praise God, she came under the new law of Christ, the law of the Spirit that sets us free. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's not an excuse-ometer. It does not excuse our bad behavior. It does not remove us from the responsibilities and the consequences of our poor choices. But the Spirit of God offers us new life freedom from death. A focus on Christ, a total focus on Christ reminds me of the no condemnation clause. Trouble is we tend to forget this because we're not always focused on Christ. We easily get distracted so we don't remember that there's no condemnation. So many of us when we forget this we end up living lives full of fear, lives trapped by what if that happens, 
lives held back by no I can't because, lives prematurely stopped, lives that are got a lid on them because we're distracted enough to have forgotten that there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. I'm sure this is a plan of the enemy. If he can distract you long enough and cause you to get your eyes off Christ, then every one of us, me included, shifts our focus off Christ onto myself and we forget that there's a no condemnation clause in play. Enemy, you cannot remind me of that because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You cannot stop me from living a life full of peace, full of life, full of everything that God's got in store because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There'll be tribulations, there'll be trials, there'll be difficulties, there'll be mountains, there'll be obstacles, but I can get over those holding on to God and I can't be stopped if I am reminded of the no condemnation clause if I hold on tight. God simply says, come to me, I'll make you whole. And when you're with me, you're great. When you're with me, you are complete. When you're with me, you are whole. When you're with me, there's nothing you can't do. So be reminded of that. The third and final thing that a total focus on Christ does, it releases me from struggling with sin. It removes the distractions. It reminds me of the no condemnation clause and it releases me from struggling with sin. I have the opportunity to stand before Christ. I have the opportunity to remain focused and listening. I then start to see the distractions melting away, disappearing. I'm then reminded of the fact that I'm not condemned by anyone. Can't be. And I am, in fact, exactly like the woman in this story and so are you. Exactly. Caught in the act. Sprung bad, as we used to say when I was a kid. Sprung ya. Caught. Found out. Lacking and limited. Sinful nature. Brushing up against it. Pushing the boundaries. But just like the woman, if we find a total focus on Christ. The distractions start to be removed. The reminder of the no condemnation clause comes into play. And finally, I am given the opportunity to be released from my struggle with sin. Because what does Jesus do right at the end of the story? In verse 11, he simply looks at the lady and says... Go, go now and leave your life of sin. The love and authority of Jesus Christ releases her from her sin. Caught in the act, no denying she did it. Human nature, full of sin. What helps us beat the struggle with sin? Just the love and authority of Jesus Christ. Go now and leave your life of sin. How do I beat the struggle? Total focus on Christ. Remove the distractions. Understand the no condemnation clause and be released. I want to pray this morning as we finish for anyone 
and I assume that's everyone, but for anyone who particularly wants prayer this morning. Firstly, for those who may never have met God and have sat in church this morning and maybe got something kind of going on in your head or your heart, thinking, gee, I haven't really got a relationship with God, that, that would be a really terrific idea. If there's anyone in that category this morning who doesn't know God, then I'd be thrilled to pray with you and introduce you to God and help you. For those who already do know God, but in listening this morning and in prayer and in song and perhaps in the preaching of the word have felt, maybe my total focus is not on Christ. Maybe it used to be and it slipped a little bit. Maybe I'm not quite as focused as I should be. Maybe it's time to reconnect with that love and authority, knowing that the struggle of sin can be beaten with a reconnection with the love and authority of Christ. If that's you, I really want to pray for you this morning. Happy to do that. I'll just grab the musos to come and just play something quietly for us. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to draw this out. It's hot. You've got things to go and do. But right now, don't miss an opportunity to link with Christ. Don't go home going, oh, that was a lovely message, or don't go home going, actually, that was a terrible message and it made me feel very uncomfortable. Do something about it. I'm only preaching what I believe God is asking me to highlight for me and for you, for all of us. And I want you to have the opportunity and get it right with God. So if there's anyone here that kind of goes, you know what? Yeah, I've been struggling a bit too much. And I wouldn't mind just getting a bit of a hand from God to overcome that. Well, the only way to do that is to get a total focus on Him. Walk in His love and His authority and allow Him to release you from the struggles with sin. Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll pray and we'll finish the service. But if you want to come and have some prayer, not just me, there's Andy, there's plenty of people, Greg and Lindsay and others, but people can come pray. It's all good. If you just want some prayer, then we'd love to help. Heavenly Father, right now, in this place, Lord Jesus, this house that belongs to you, this church congregation that has gathered this morning, to honour you, to praise you, to worship you, to hear from you, to connect with you, to learn about you. God, this is our opportunity now to respond to what's been dropping into our heads and our hearts via our spirit, from your spirit, over the last hour and a half or so. God, right now we want to respond. We can respond in song, we can respond in prayer, we can respond in a lot of ways. And we want to respond. Where there are gaps in our lives, God, we wish those gaps to be filled. Where there is blackness in our lives, Lord, we wish for that blackness to be released, removed. Where there's struggle with sin, God, we want to overcome it. We want to beat it. We know we can't do it on our own. We recognize from reading your word. We recognize from our journey through Romans, from our understanding of learning a new normal, that we can't beat it on our own. God, we recognize the world would say, just hide it, cover it up, put a smile on your face, pretend it's not happening. But you would say, no, don't do that. Deal with the issue and give yourself the proper opportunity for a full, abundant, eternal life. For I have come that they would have life and life to the full, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your promises of life. 
thank you, God, for the opportunity you afford us not to push up against the boundaries as our natural human desire is to do, but the opportunity you afford us to go well beyond where we can currently be and to walk with you into the destiny and the plans that you have in store for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Heal us, Lord, and make us whole and complete and well and healthy and strong in your name and help us walk the journey that you want us to walk. You are a mighty God. We praise your mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Send us on your way today out into the world to our workplaces, our schools, our communities, our homes, our families to take the light that you have placed in us and share it and shed it into the community. Thank you, God. Bless us as we go our way today. You are a mighty God. Everybody said, amen. Have an awesome week. If you want some prayer, feel free to come on down. Shake somebody by the hand. Make a bit of noise. Love God. Have a great week.